Let's continue now our worship by turning in God's holy word to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm always in a dilemma on Easter, it seems like. It's like, which text do we go to? There are so many. So many beautiful, wonderful, powerful, strengthening, encouraging verses that lift up Jesus, the resurrected Lord, the Lord of the church. Today we're going to this one. I trust it's the will of the Lord, a season, a word in season for this time. You pray for me and I'll pray for you. Second Timothy chapter 2. Verses 8 through 10. Let your eyes now drink in these words. I'll read them aloud. Hear the word of God now. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sakes, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And all God's people said, We all have something in common, and that is from a distance. We may look like we've got it all together, but then as people get close to us, as people get to know us, they see our flaws, flaws of character, bad habits, aggravating little weird things we say and do and the ways we act. Uh, Husbands and wives marry and they have the fog of love in their eyes. This one can do no wrong. And then after a little while, this one can do no right. We see all their flaws. We see all of their little aggravating things they do. All the way from little things like replacing the toilet paper roll. Does it go this way or this way? How do you load the dishwasher? You're supposed to put them this way and not here. And and these little bitty trivial unimportant things add and add and add and up. and, And eventually... Husbands and wives see no good in the other. They just, uh, they're like, I don't remember how this fight started, but you're wrong. I don't even remember what we started fighting about. It was a long while while back, but uh, I'm right and you're wrong. We all have those things in common. The closer people get to us, the the more they see our faults. Sometimes it happens that way with churches. You can go on the website and look at Jackson Bible Church, and it looks great. And then you come here and sit with us, and you realize we're not all that great. I love what Miss Earlene Molden used to say, now in heaven. And this was language of love when she says things like this. It wasn't theologically accurate, but it was a language of love. Here's how she put it. She would say, our church is not perfect, but it's close. That was what Miss Earlene thought about this church. Not because she was naive and didn't see our flaws, but because she so loved the people here 
that she felt like it was just, just, just this side of perfection. But often, someone will come and they'll say, well, wasn't what I expected. I heard him on the internet and it sounded all right, but I didn't, wasn't all that impressed when I got there. You, you know, you get close to people, you see all their shortcomings. And there is one glorious exception to this. When we come to look at the Lord Jesus Christ, from whatever angle we come, however we approach, the more we look, the more that we see, we don't see faults and flaws and shortcomings and weird things. We're drawn more deeply into Him. We see beauty. We see worthiness. We see grace and we see truth. So I want us to look at him today on this resurrection day. And I want us to look at him from a few angles. The Apostle Paul is in prison when he writes 2 Timothy. In fact, he went to prison several times for the gospel. He wasn't a criminal, except he lived in a day when they considered it criminal to preach the gospel boldly. And that day may be coming again for us. And Paul writes to his young son in the faith, young Timothy, his protege, his student. And he tells him, try to come before winter and bring my coat. Paul was in a cold, damp prison cell. And bring my books and bring my parchments. And here he is cut off from the world with just a visitor or two. And Paul tells Timothy things like, Timothy, be bold. Don't forget the gift that God gave you. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. Timothy, hold tightly to the truth and prepare others to do the same. Prepare others, faithful men, to hold tightly to the truth that they may in turn teach others. Timothy, be disciplined in your mind and be ready to suffer like a soldier or like an athlete in training, or like a hard-working farmer. And keep your mind and your eyes focused on Jesus. And hold to sound doctrine and reject foolish discussions. Timothy, hold fast to the Word and rightly divide the Word and continue in the Word and preach the Word. There's a great emphasis in this last letter of Paul on the Word. Paul is about to die and he's not telling Timothy how to do little gimmicky, faddish, manipulative things in the church. He says, here's what you need to do. Hold to the word, rightly divide the word, continue in the word, and preach the word. It's still what the church needs today. We're in a day where you've got to do gimmicks and impress people, and the, the modern professing Christians are consumers they want to be given a product. You must give them what they wish and they will consume it. They will come and they will consume the product, the good show that you put on, the, the goodies that you give away, and so forth. The apostle would say differently. What they need is the word. Feed them the word. Teach them sound doctrine. Reject heresy. Reject foolish discussions. And then he gets to chapter 3 and he says, Now, Timothy, in the last days... 
There are going to be self-centered people who use the church for their own gain, who will teach false doctrines. What you need to do is to preach the word. So he gets to chapter 2, our text, and he says, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. That's the gospel that I preach, Timothy. There are other false gospels, many false gospels. But the gospel that Paul preached was the same gospel that the other apostles preached. It was the gospel of Jesus crucified and raised. And he tells Timothy, remember this, Timothy. Keep this in your mind. If you have a beautiful painting that you purchase somewhere, I mean a really, really nice painting, you don't stick it in your house over somewhere where few people will see it. You put it in the most prominent place. Maybe as, as your friends and family come in the front door, they will see right there before them this most beautiful painting. What I see Paul doing here to Timothy is, Timothy, put in the most prominent place in the picture gallery of your mind this painting, Jesus Christ raised from the dead. He's not any, any concern, I don't think, that Timothy's going to forget Jesus. There's no way a Christian can forget Jesus. But it is possible for us to be so focused on other things that we don't put him in the most prominent place in our minds so that when trouble comes, we can be sustained through trouble and hardship by this central truth in our mind. Jesus went through hardship and he's raised. Jesus suffered and it didn't last long. Suffering led to glory. Trouble led to exaltation. And so what Paul is really telling Timothy to do is you can endure all that comes your way, Christians, if you hold fast to this one wonderful, most basic foundational things. Jesus Christ, who was of the seed of David, which means he fulfilled all those prophecies that told about David would have a descendant. David was the great king, not Saul. Saul was man's choice. Saul was replaced by David, a man after God's own heart. And David was a great king, and he followed the Lord closely, but he failed him in many ways. But Nathan the prophet came in and told King David, hear the message from God to you, king. You're going to have a, a descendant one day that's going to reign forever, and your throne will never have an end. And that wasn't Solomon, and that wasn't Rehoboam. That wasn't those long line of failing kings that you can read about in the Old Testament. That one who would come as a descendant of David was none other than the Lord Jesus, who was born, who descended, as verse 8 tells us, from the seed of David. He was of the seed of David. This is emphasizing his humanity. Jesus was fully human. He was exactly like us except one major difference. He had no sin. He was tempted to sin in all points, but he never sinned. And so as I approach Jesus from this angle, when I look at his humanity and I see him what, in him what sinless humanity looks like, I'm drawn to that, are you? That amazes me. A man 
who lived in this world in a body like we have with a mind that could think the most uh, foolish thoughts and yet Jesus never did. He never sinned. He never disobeyed the Father. He never dishonored his earthly mother and father. He never lied. He never lusted. He never misspoke. He never broke the law of God in any point. What a Savior this is. What a man this is. What a man. A fully, full human being. A full man. Born of the seed of David. But he wasn't just man. He was fully man and at the same time, fully God. We often say this every December. I try to say it at least once or twice. When Jesus came into this world, he didn't leave behind something. He came into this world and took something that he'd never had before. He was always God, the Son. And when he came into this world, he was still God, the Son, but he took something that he'd never had before. He took humanity. So the incarnation of Christ was an addition not a subtraction. He didn't leave behind his deity to take humanity. He continued to be fully God. And he then at a point in time was conceived in a virgin's womb by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he became fully man. What a savior this is. So if we look at him from that angle, the angle of his humanity, or we look at it from this angle, the angle of deity, he is God and therefore he can step out of the grave after he dies. This is the ultimate proof of his deity, the ultimate proof of who Jesus as the man God, the God man, as a man he could die for our sins. And as God, he could take his life up again and come back from the dead. Jesus lives. His banner over me is love. His rallying cry for his church is cross and the empty tomb and we go into the world with this message he was the fulfillment of scriptures 2 Samuel 7 the fulfillment of that promise to David he was fully man because in order to be raised from the dead he had to first die didn't he and oh what a death he died oh what a death he died I get a little splinter in my finger, and it's a big event. The world needs to stop and cater to me. I'm hurting. And my wife especially must rush and show me great attention. I'm I'm pricked in my precious little flesh. Oh, it's so hurtful. Don't hurt me when you pull it. I'm exaggerating a little bit. I'm really not that big of a baby, but sometimes I am. Oh, Think of the Lord Jesus, not a splinter in his finger, a spike through his hand, and a spike through his other hand, and a spike through his feet, and a crown of thorns beat down on his head. And he hangs there in shame after they've gambled for his clothes. And as he hangs there, they mock him. 
come down if you're the Son of God. Come down and we'll believe. They show him no compassion. They show him no mercy. Nothing but taunts and jeers. They mock him as he dies under the curse of God. You say, oh, I can't imagine being crucified. It's the most horrible invention ever invented by man to torture somebody. And it is. But that wasn't the worst part of it. The worst part wasn't nails and thorns and then a spear ultimately up into his chest cavity. The worst part of it was that which we couldn't observe by our human eyes if we were there that day. The worst part of it was what the apostles would teach us happened there that day that we couldn't see with our eyes. The worst part was Jesus was bearing the very wrath of God against our sin. He was being forsaken by his own father. And he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the sky grows dark and the earth begins to shake. And God's justice against sin is being poured out. And God's wrath is being displayed. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut its glories in. When Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin... The worst part of the crucifixion was not the scourge, the thorns, or the spikes. The worst part of it was being forsaken by God. And he was forsaken so that we who believe on him will never be forsaken. We will never know a moment in our existence, both in this world and in the world to come, where we who have trusted in Jesus will ever know one second of being forsaken by God. Sometimes we'll go to a place and we'll say, boy, that's a God-forsaken place. What an awful place that was. The Christian never goes to a God-forsaken place. Everywhere the Christian, everywhere the believer goes, God will never forsake his children because Jesus was forsaken in our stead. He bore the wrath. He endured the awful agony of the cross. Oh, what a death it was. He was raised from the dead, Paul says. Keep this in your mind, Timothy. Remind yourself of this. This command is in the present tense, which in the Greek language means continuous action. Timothy, continually keep this in your mind. Make this your habit. Make this your practice that you think much and think often about Jesus Christ raised from the dead. So ultimately, this passage is about the Christian, like Paul, in a prison, being treated as a criminal, enduring that. You know, the gospel never has been popular. If you go out today in the street or any city in this world, you go anywhere just about, and you tell people, you're a sinner in the eyes of God, and you're under the curse of the law that you have broken And unless you repent and believe on Jesus, you will perish. Will people hug your neck if you tell them that, or will they call you a name? Or will they run from you? They'll call you a fanatic. They'll say you're a Bible-thumping idiot. You're a nut. You're a religious nut. Well, Paul was a religious nut, apparently. He preached the gospel, and it wasn't popular in his day either. Because the gospel he preached landed him in jail. But he didn't change the gospel. He didn't change his message. 
All he would have had to have done was changed it and tweaked it just a little bit, and he wouldn't have had to go to prison. But for Paul, the gospel was more important than his freedom. For Paul, the gospel was more important than his convenience. I wonder, do we still have the same spine that Paul had? I wonder if we still have the same convictions in our day that my liberty or my convenience or my well-being, my prosperity, my happiness is more important than, than what? No, beloved. If we get it right, we must say as Christians, Jesus Christ and his gospel is more important than anything on my priority list. And it wasn't popular then, and it's not popular today. And Paul says, I've suffered as a criminal. I'm chained up now in this cell. But the, the word of God's not chained. So the Jews of Paul's day thought it was blasphemy when Paul said, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the God-man. When the apostles preached that, the Jews said, this is blasphemy. And, and the Greeks... They said, he's not, he's not man and God because God would never come down so far as to soil himself with man. The Greeks said he was God but not man. And the Jews said he's man but not God. And then the Romans, they thought the Caesar was God. They thought the emperor was God. And yet, Paul preached the gospel. Some Jews got saved some Greeks got saved, and there were even some Christians in Caesar's household. When Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, greet those in Caesar's household who are my brothers in Christ. So the word of God is not bound. They may put Paul in prison. They may put this one or you or me in prison. I guess at that point, we'll have a prison ministry. We'll preach to the other fellow prisoners. We'll preach to the guards. Are we prepared to do that? It's easy to say that, isn't it, on a beautiful Easter morning as we sit here in this beautiful, comfortable place? What if it gets to be uncomfortable? Beloved, let us prepare ourselves. Let us suffer trouble if need be. But let us remember, if trouble comes, Jesus Christ was raised. And the trouble that we're having will not last. And we can endure just as the Lord Jesus Endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And just as the apostles endured hardships and trouble, some of them were beheaded. One day we're going to see the new Jerusalem coming down, and it's going to have 12 foundations, and the foundations are going to have the names of the apostles on it. God will have memorialized those faithful soldiers of his who loved not their lives unto the death and was faithful even unto death. If persecution comes, the church is going to get real small, I predict. If it begins to cost us a lot, many who call themselves Christians will begin to slip away. And I pray that you and I will be prepared if need be. Paul said, the word of God is not bound. So I look at Jesus and I keep him in my mind right in the forefront and I say, he's not like Herod. And he's not like Caesar or Pilate. He's not like those corrupt politicians. He's not like the religious phonies of his day, the Pharisees and the, the legalists. Jesus wasn't like them. 
And Jesus is not like me. Praise God. He is like me, but he's not like me. He's fully human, but he is the epitome of what humanity was supposed to be. Made for the glory of God we were, made to walk with God in the garden, made in his image to reflect his likeness, made to know him and love him, we quickly went astray. Jesus never went astray. We look at him today and we remember he was raised and Paul said, that's the gospel I preach and I'll preach it even if I'm treated as a criminal doing so because God's word is going to go. It's not bound. And I endure all things, he says in verse 10, for the elect's sakes that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. I'm, I'm sad that the doctrine of election is, is a battlefield for so many Christians to argue about. Paul said, I'm willing to die. I'm willing to be in prison. I will preach the gospel. I'll preach it to everywhere and everyone I can because I know God will save some. I know he will save some. Election guarantees the success of the gospel. And some people want to just argue about it. And it's become a debate that's been argued for centuries. If you're saved, you're a chosen one. If you're not saved, come to Jesus, and he'll save you. Amen? He said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. So the Father gives them, and then they come. And all who come, he says, I will not cast out. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You may come. You may believe. Paul said, I endure these things, the imprisonments, the insults, because God will save those that he has chosen for himself. The gospel will succeed. Praise God. It has succeeded. It's reached even way across the pond, all the way over here to Jackson, South Carolina. From Jerusalem and the Mediterranean world and the ripples spread and it reaches Europe, and it continues into the Western world, and we have the gospel, and we've had it all these years. And we are amazed at the kind grace of God to Gentiles like us. We have no claim on God. I'm not of the tribe of Dan or Judah or Issachar or Asher or Naphtali or Manasseh. I'm a Gentile dog. I'm, I'm an outsider. God didn't make a covenant with the Gentiles as far as he did, as, like, like he did with Israel. But he has brought us in. We're the other sheep. Other sheep I have, Jesus said, and them also I must bring. Praise God. Praise God there were faithful men and women before us who endured hardships so that we might hear the gospel, so that we might have a church so that we could have a Bible. I think of men and women who, who translated the scriptures, who invented the printing press, who went as missionaries to teach a language to a, 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 a culture that didn't understand and couldn't read. And they taught them to read and they taught them 
how to read a book that was from God. How blessed we are. Jesus Christ was raised. Keep that forefront in your minds. Timothy, if all the other appeals for you to be strong and bold and not afraid, if all those other appeals fail, surely this one won't fail. This one will stir up in you gallantry and courage. Remember Jesus was raised from the dead. And all God's people said, praise God. This is the first uh, Sunday of the month, and as we are very happy to do, we have the Lord's Supper every first Sunday of the month. And so we're going to do that now. What this is is a memorial. You see it on the front of the table, if you could see under that sheet there. You would see, do this in remembrance of me. It's what Jesus taught his church so that we would never... Let it slip out of the forefront of our mind that we could keep it right in the forefront of our minds that Jesus was crucified in our place and Jesus rose from the dead. And we take a piece of bread now and we take a cup and we proclaim his death. His body was broken just like that bread was broken. His body was broken. His blood poured forth just like that grape is crushed in the wine press and they would catch the precious blood of the grape and they would make with it, their, their wine. Jesus was broken and Jesus was crushed in our place. We owe him everything. And so since the, all the challenges of our day has happened, we've started doing it a little different way. But the way we do it is if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we hope you're a baptized believer because baptism is, a, is the sign of obedience. It's a your first opportunity to witness and say, I'm, I belong to Jesus. I've died and I've, I've, I'm raised up now a new man, a new woman. And if we can help you with baptism, you let us know. And we'll sure help you with that. But we say, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus and you are walking before him as examining yourself, if you're in open known sin and you're not willing to deal with it in confession, just... Just sit still and sit reverently and let everyone else come and take. But if you're not a Christian, this is not for you. If you're a Christian that's not willing to examine yourself and confess sin, this is not for you at this time. But if you're a believer, you know yourself to be a vile, guilty sinner who has a Savior in Jesus. You may come, brother or sister. You may come gladly and take. And the way we do it is we... Ask you just kind of spread out and come and get a piece of bread and go back to your seat. And then this side does the same. And then when we all are served, we will take together. So let's pray first. Father, thank you that Jesus Christ was raised. And this is the gospel we preach. A crucified, risen Savior. A payment made and a transaction complete, and a receipt granted showing paid in full. This is the resurrection. We thank you today that if there was any part of sin not fully dealt with for the people of God, that Jesus would not be raised from the dead. His resurrection guarantees 
that his work was done sufficiently and perfectly. And this is our joy. And now we take on this great day the bread and the cup. And we remember outside the city of Jerusalem a little over 2,000 years ago a momentous event which still reverberates through the world where some saw that day and said, certainly this was the Son of God. Truly this was a righteous man. And we remember that veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And the way to God has now been opened and we may come. And we have come. And we come with great joy today. Our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in Jesus Christ crucified and raised. And it'll be our joy to sing in 10,000 years to come. Hallelujah. Amen.